This Three Beard Media Podcast is sponsored by Revelton Distilling Company. When Rob and Christy Taylor started following the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in 2012, they fell in love with not only bourbon, but the entire distilling process. And just eight short years later, in 2020, Revelton Distilling Company was opened, offering an entire family of products including vodka, gin, whiskey, and Revelton Shine. Come visit the tasting room at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, where you can sample one of their many spirits, including four gold medal winners. Can't make it to Osceola today? Not a problem, as you can pick up some at your local Hy-Vee or Fairway grocery store. Be sure to follow Revelton Distilling on Twitter or Instagram at ReveltonDC or their website, www.reveltondistilling.com. This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy! Would you like to sample some of my nuts? I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours, terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest, screen bloody murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in. Hello and welcome back to yet another edition of Old Man Strength, a podcast brought to you by Three Beards Media. Yes, you are hearing that right. We have a new media company that we are launching that we would like to, to, to discuss here briefly. Uh, but this is a podcast brought to you by Three Beards Media and our sponsor, Revelton Distilling Company in Osceola, Iowa. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing this evening? We are doing well. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. Uh, we were chatting a, a bit before we got going here that it's been the first time in probably a month and a half that we've actually been at full strength at the brewery that we have had all three of us brewers there and healthy so work has actually finally been uh i don't want to say relaxing I, I i don't sit down for a for a living i'm on my feet all day but it's where i finally feel like oh okay this is this is the pace that i should be working at so it's been good um, how, how's work been for you? Great. Things are progressing well. I'm, uh, how should I say, showing people that I'm not as dumb as I thought I was uh, as <laughs> progressive day goes on, that I actually know what I'm talking about. Uh, I can't, I can't wait no. till you show me that. That would, I, <laughs> someday, someday. And we're 35 seconds. <laughs> you're slow tonight. You're slow tonight. You're, uh, so you're, yeah, no. Usually, I, I'm I'm jotting on the spot of making fun of. I know, you. right? Uh, um, okay. So I, I I mentioned there in the open three beards media, and before we get to our guest, and and I, and I don't want to delay getting to our guest because I'm really excited to talk to her. But uh, Chris, I wondered if you wanted to just take five seconds here to to discuss uh, the change. Yeah, we uh, as a group decided to um, kind of branch out on our own. Uh, 
the group at, at the tailgate society were amazing and, and gave us a platform and uh, we just felt it was time for us to, to move out on our own. So we launched uh, along with our friend, Aaron, uh, well, we launched three beards media. Uh, I mean, the name derives from the fact that each of us have a beard. Uh, Aaron, Aaron's <laughs> is not necessarily so great, but it's, it qualifies. Uh, and we brought along uh, your other podcast, Bitter Units, along with it. And we are looking at future opportunities and future podcasts. And we see what we can build here. So we're excited. Yeah, really excited to see what, what we have going on, Chris. I can't thank you enough for all the work that you've put in on on helping this come to, to fruition. And again, I echo your set sentiments that uh, the group over at the Tele Society have been uh, nothing but gracious and were very, very helpful in getting us launched on that as we kind of uh, see what the future holds for us. Uh, we've got a, a lot of good things in the works, uh, a lot of ideas, a lot of guests, a lot of other uh, potential podcasts that might join. So uh, very excited for that. Um, but speaking of excited, I'm really excited to talk to our guests this evening. And Chris, once again, like I said, putting in all the hard work that you do, you have landed us another phenomenal guest. So why don't you go ahead and take a second to introduce our guest? Yeah, we have. And, and what a time. This might be the best timely guest that we've had. Uh, we weren't <laughs> entirely sure how this was going to go. It could have been 50-50. I had confidence that it was going to go the right way. Uh, we are uh, beyond thankful for having uh, former uh, journalists uh, from both WOI and WHO uh fellow Iowa State graduate and uh current uh uh public information officer for uh the, the state auditor's office for Rob Sand, Sonia Heights Susan, who is now the Democratic nominee for the Iowa House District 28. Welcome to Old Man Strength. Thank you so much for having me and congratulations on the uh new media enterprise. That's awesome. Enterprise might be a strong word. Uh, <laughs> we'll take it. We usually will take little tidbits from our podcast. Dan McCartney called us professionals. Uh, uh, Sonia Heisen said that it was an enterprise. We're going to mark all these down. At some point, you condense all that together. It's impressive. That's right. <laughs> I, I like to think of us more as an international multimedia conglomerate, but I'll take enterprise. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Soon to be on the Fortune 500 list. Correct. Correct. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'd be happy if we broke even. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, Sonia Heights, Susan, I'm very excited. Thank you very much uh, for, for coming on Old Man Strength. Uh, we, had, we had talked just before that, that we had just had uh, Rob Sand on, and, and he was a phenomenal guest. Um, and, uh, I, boy, I, I hope he told you that he was going to, to waste his time with us. Well, I actually saw it on Twitter that he was going to be on the week before me. And so I just listened to his podcast. He's my boss, you know? Um, so I listed, listened very intently and, uh, He's a great boss. I really enjoy working at the auditor's office. Um, Rob is one of these unique people who is super smart, but also super down to earth. And he makes it a pleasure to work at the auditor's office along with uh, all the other folks there who are also super smart. I've learned a ton since I started in November of 2020. 
Um, so I, as you mentioned, I'm the public information officer. So I deal with the media, but I also get to, to work a little bit on their investigations, which I really enjoy. That was kind of my niche uh, with WHO TV. I was the chief investigative journalist. So um, I always like to be in there uncovering stuff and finding out what's really going on. Yeah. yeah so, so speaking of that, why, why don't you go ahead and take a second for our listeners who may not be familiar as much with your body of work to kind of give us the... Uh, the elevator speech of what your what your career has been and how you've gotten to where you're at today. Well, I'm a native Iowan. I grew up on my family farm in eastern Iowa. Um, I went to Iowa State University where I graduated with a bachelor's in journalism. Um, but while I was going to school at Iowa State, uh, my family was losing their family farm during the farm crisis of the 1980s. And I remember my mother calling me up and saying, you're going to have to figure out how to pay most of your tuition and your you know, rent, all of it. And so I worked three jobs at one time and took full class load. Um, I remember working at the Merle Norman on Main Street Ames and going in the back at the end of that, you know, I worked nine to five there. And then I'd go in the back, change my clothes and run down to Lucalons where I was a waitress. I love Lucalons. <laughs> then I would get up. 34 o'clock in the morning to go do my internship at WOI during the weekdays. And um, that's just the way it was, you know? And it's a good thing that I had a strong work ethic that was taught to me by my parents. I mean, I bailed hay and castrated pigs even on the farm. <laughs> We won't go into that too much. I say, Chris is a city boy. I don't think he's ever. I I don't know if he's ever you sat are, on a pig. You are incorrect. I grew <laughs> up for a little bit on a farm in Lacona, Iowa. So I did. I never did it, but I did. I was around, and it did happen. And so yes, I, I'm aware of the process. Uh, I was I was more on the outside of. Uh, going to get tools or whatever needed. I, I didn't do the actual deed. So you're, you're a better person than I am, Sonia. I can tell you that. Well, I, I actually, I held the little pigs while my brothers would do the cutting. But I have joked that if I am elected, I might be one of the few legislators who truly has cut pork. <laughs> but, but i have to be honest i hated it because i hated hearing the pig squeal it was awful and i didn't like it at all so um but anyway so then i graduated from iowa state and i had a job waiting for me at woi because i had interned there and i became a one-man band reporter which means you shoot your own stuff you write your own stuff you edit it you do it all and I was so bad at being a photographer. I mean, literally, I remember shooting this one story of Christmas. It was about Christmas shopping. And I had video down this aisle at Target, but instead of the, the shelves being aligned like they were supposed to, they were totally crooked because <laughs> it was so off balance. And the producers, I think, felt sorry for me or they didn't have anybody else to report so they gave me a photographer after that which helped immensely so that was the beginning of my time in television and I worked at WOI for 10 years 
had a brief stint in pharmaceutical sales, uh, quickly realized that that really wasn't for me and I missed journalism. So then I was hired at WHO TV in 2003 and worked there until 2020. And as I said, I was primarily, um, my gig was being an investigative reporter. And during running for office. During that time, uh, uh, as an investigative reporter, what do you think was probably the most unique story that you covered? Boy, unique. Um, you know, the stories that really stick out to me are the ones where I was able to make a change for the positive, mm -hmm. make a positive change. Um, I mean, I remember the, this family, Central Iowa family called me and said, um, our son is not getting ABA therapy. He's autistic and he is supposed to be getting ABA therapy, but the insurance company isn't paying for it. And so I dug into it and sure enough, the insurance company was supposed to be paying for it because his father was a state employee. And this was right after the legislature had passed a law saying that all state employees, um, their insurance would pay for this particular type of autism therapy. So I took on the big insurance company and um, they weren't happy about it at all. But about a week after that story aired, the family called me back and said, um, we just got a call from the insurance company. They're paying for his therapy. So it's stuff like that where you make a positive change when you know what you're doing is right. Um, I mean, there was another story where these moms called and said um, they're intellectually disabled and development, developmentally disabled kids who were older. They were adults, but they were living in a group home. And they said, we think that they're being abused and neglected. And did my research on that, um, confronted the owners of those group homes. And not only were the people in the group homes being abused and neglected, but the state money that they were receiving or the money that was being administered through the state, it was actually federal dollars, was completely being misused. And as a result of that, um, we ended up getting this organization shut down. And you know, the, the kids weren't being abused and neglected anymore. And that's really what journalism should be about. It should be about mm -hmm. being, you know, first of all, giving a voice to the voiceless, um, highlighting corruption, holding the powerful accountable, those types of things. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons too why I'm running for office is because I want to be part of a positive change. And um, I want to give a voice to people in Iowa who feel like they're not being heard right now from, to my constituents in Dallas County who feel like they, but I've knocked on a ton of doors and I hear from people who say they, they just don't see how there will be any change and they don't have hope. And I find that really sad. You know, I think we have to have hope. And the way you make change is you get out there and you fight for it and you do the hard work. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I think I think one thing that uh, you as an investigative journalist or just, uh, you know, journalists in general that I don't think get enough credit for is when we think about corruption in a system or we think about uh, a lack of accountability from an insurance company with so many people rely on 
law enforcement or the criminal justice system to go investigate and to go seek those things out. The sad reality is they're taxed by so many other things that they're not addressing all of those. And that's one of the, the reasons why freedom of the press is fundamental in our society, for sure, is that we need other people to not only hold those companies accountable, but hold accountable the legislators and the law enforcement and the public officials who are also supposed to be holding those companies accountable. And I think when when you see uh, countries and societies that don't hold freedom of the press as, as sacrosanct as we do, you don't see that level of accountability across the board. Um, so I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate that you're able to take that into uh, the, the auditor's office as well, where, again, it's all about accountability. Well, it's the auditor's office is all about using taxpayer money for its intended purpose. And um, I feel like a lot of people um, have lost sight of that mm-hmm. and have lost sight of the fact that People who are elected officials, um, I hate the word politicians. Somebody said that to me a couple of weeks ago. They said, oh, you're, now you're a politician. And I said, my goal is not to be a politician. It's to be a public servant. Um, you know, I want to be a problem solver. I want to be part of the solution. And, and I don't have all the answers by any means. Um, but I believe you get the best possible solution by bringing people together and sitting down at the table and talking about, here's my idea, here's my idea. Well, I think this, I think that. And somewhere in that whole, you know, salad, (laughs) the solution to the problem, that tossed salad, you end up finding what works best. And we we have become so partisan that we're not even talking to other parties anymore, members of other parties. And it's, it's this us against them mentality. And I don't think it should be that way. I mean, I think there's, there's, there's an us versus them scenario, not even just from a, a, a party standpoint, right? I, I think in the last six, seven years, we've seen a vilification of the press. We've seen a vilification of all these other agencies and groups that are trying to just shine a light on on what should be apparent and laid bare out into the world of this isn't right. You know, ultimately, I think what what you do as a journalist and what you should do as a public servant is lay bare what is obviously wrong. Is that fair to say? It's about trying to uncover truth um, and about presenting facts and that's another thing. We seem to have lost sight of the fact that there are facts. Right. Yeah. Um, no, no, there's alternative truths, Sonia. <laughs> <laughs> and getting back to your comment about um, lack of respect for journalists and, you know, these theories about journalism has changed a lot, but I have never in my nearly 30 years of working as a reporter or anchor heard a journalist say, I'm going to deliberately try to get this wrong. Right, right, right. (laughs) Deliberately try to sway this one way. Everyone I have worked with really tried 
extremely hard to tell balanced stories, to get all sides, and to tell the facts correctly, present the facts in a way that is easy to understand and um, that is accurate. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fair to say that that journalists have a natural bias that they may not, not know creeps in for sure, right? Absolutely. Right. That's one of the things, first things you learn in journalism school is that we all come to a story or come to a situation with our own internal bias. And what you need to do as a journalist is to recognize that bias and then go out of your way to find the people who have a different perspective. That's another reason why I think a journalism background is so helpful um, in public office as well, because I'm not out there just trying to present one side. I'm trying to find the truth and talk to people and listen, listen to people and what are they saying? Um, you know, I've knocked on hundreds of doors over the last several months. And it's one of the things that I like most about running for office is that I've actually been able to hear these different perspectives and hear from people that I never would have otherwise. And uh, I really enjoy that aspect of it. I've said a couple of times, um, especially lately in the political process, that it is very toxic and it is it can be very partisan. Um, but there is some common ground, I think, that people can find when the right people are looking for it. And I, I think you had said something about, you know, that's why I wanted to, to get into this. It's people like you that aren't afraid to take on those challenges because it's hard, right? Um, it's certainly, if all the good people that that want to try to work across the aisle and do that, give up and go away, what's that leave us? That's that's the problem. And and a perfect example is, is um, I had a conversation with with Rob Taylor, who who is the owner of, of uh, Revelton Distilling Company, our, our sponsor, when we were down there talking about this. Rob ran uh, and was a legislature uh, from a uh, district, I think, 36, which is pretty close to where you're at. Uh, he ran as a Republican. He is a Republican. Him and I are the best of friends. We can have conversations and we work together. And that's the way it should be. Now, we're friends, so it's easier for us. But there are certain times where you can have conversations with people and realize they may think differently than I do. But deep down, they are a good person. They, they, they do want what's right. And if you can find that area to start to work with, I think that's what's important. Um, I mean, I, I, I've made it quite clear I'm not a fan of, of Governor Reynolds, but she did sign a law earlier this week uh, that uh, is helping the distilling companies. And that's a win for all of Iowa, for, for small businesses across. The, I, can, I can be man enough to applaud that that was a good decision by her, even though I may not agree with a lot of, uh, of her other decisions. That's just how it always used to be. We've lost that somewhere. Well, I think, you know, two things can be true. And, um, you know, a lot of people talk about are talking about gun safety and um, gun reform right now. And it seems that we're so polarized you know, everyone says Republican, or the Republicans say this is a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. Democrats say this is a gun issue. Well, you know, it can actually be both. Yes, for sure. 
I think the solution there lies in, we need more mental health counselors. We need more awareness about mental health. And yes, we should also have some really common sense gun laws. Like you should have to go and get a permit and you should have to go take a class before you can carry a concealed weapon. That seems pretty common sense to me. I don't want a gun in the hands of a mentally unstable person. And I think there's, and that tells me exactly everything I need to know. Like I, you can attack this from both angles, right? It doesn't have to be a hundred percent guns are in the hands of everyone because the second amendment is absolute and it doesn't have to be, Oh, well, the only way we're going to fix this is, is mental health. Cause there are are millions of people in the country with mental health issues who don't Mm -hmm. shoot up schools. Right. And so like it can be common sense and, Boy, the common sense just seems like an oxymoron as a statement in the first place. It's what? It seems like what? It, it, it's an oxymoron that that what is common is not sensical in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we used to have these conversations where we would, like I was saying, we would come together and we could find some common ground. I just, when I was knocking doors earlier this year, um, I... But, you know, you have a whole list of people you're supposed to contact and um, you know a whole lot about these people. They're a Democrat, they're an independent, how old they are, their gender, everything is in this little database. And so I went on this, went to this door that I, you know, was on my list. Well, the woman who lived there wasn't home, but her parents were home. And so the man comes to the door and I say, I'm Sonia Heitzus and I'm running as a Democrat for the Iowa House of Representatives. He was very nice, but then his wife who was in the background heard me and came running to the door. <laughs> she said, oh, effing no way. <laughs> and started getting into my face. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I didn't know quite what I was going to do at first, but I just listened to her. I just mm-hmm. listened to what her... Um, beef was with Democrats. And I'm not kidding you, by the end of the conversation, she brought up something about corporate welfare. And she said, I am not in favor of corporate welfare. And I said, well, I'm not either. (laughs) And I said, there's some common ground that we have right there. And then there was another issue that she brought up. And I said, oh, she said, this defunding the police is wrong. And I said, I agree. Yes. And so by the end of the conversation, she said, I'm so sorry that I yelled at you. <laughs> you know, I don't live in your district, but if I did, I would consider voting for you. You know, those types of things. And it's just, we got to come back to the center, I think. And I know a lot of people don't like that. Uh, I, you know, there are people in both parties who are more extreme. And that's fine that they can have their opinion and their viewpoint of course they're entitled to that but i think to actually get some stuff done we got to come back a little bit more to the center well i think i think the the gun debate is a good example of that we we've heard time and time again lately that the majority of america is in favor of common sense gun laws that to me of, is the majority of NRA members yes. are in favor of comprehensive background checks. So that to me is a is is a center issue that we can meet at. It's the problem is is that the extremes get the news. I shouldn't say get the news. They get the publicity. Yeah. And I I think as far as the the journalism discussion goes, I think 
part of the problem is is that not only have journalists been uh, targeted by certain aspects of, of parties and whatever, but I also think sometimes by their own businesses that own them. There was a fine, there was a, an extreme simple line between the entertainment section of a television studio and the news organization. And there was not any bleeding in between that. There yeah. was a hard line there. And I think uh, in a race for ratings and money and, and influence, that has bled into the news organization at no fault of the journalists. I no. won't agree one bit with that. A lot of it has come down to how many clicks can we get and and revenue. Yeah. I mean, I, like it's it's gotten to the point that I don't know how many times over the last six years where uh, someone will share on social media an onion headline and realize that the onion is probably more accurately yeah. representing real life. Uh, well, because well, because the other thing that I always one one account I follow on Twitter that I think is very funny is New York Times Pitchbot, uh, and it always posts something like, uh, "Is racism and transgenderism an issue?" We asked three white males from from uh, Sheboygan their opinion on this. Like, <laughs> like, like, literally, like the idea is that because you know, suddenly you mentioned like your need for objectivity, and sometimes I feel like some places pivot to the extreme where they're trying to find the exact opposite and they're sharing a story that is counter to their beliefs that is not necessarily representative of the rest of us and i would even argue that that uh it's not about centrism because centrism still implies a left and right it still implies a false dichotomy i it, it's more about what makes the most sense i i'm not registered to any party i'm registered to what makes sense? That's all I'm dedicated to. I won't argue with that. I, that that's a very good point. I I agree that that's what we should be doing is what makes the most sense. So, but but at the, but at the same time, I think you also have to play in the world that exists right now, right? Like like you have to it, with anything in life. Uh, anything at your job, you have to pick your battles and you have to figure out the right way. And sometimes you, you want to play in the most unicorn ideal rainbows and glitter world, but also you need to figure out uh, how I'm going, how am I going to be most effective in the universe I currently exist in? Is that fair? Well, yes and no. Um, I believe that's fair, but to the extent that are you doing the right thing? Okay. Um, you know, we all have that feeling in our stomachs when you're like, mm, I don't think this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you, something, you can call it values, morals, whatever, you know, guilt prevents you from doing the wrong thing. And we, we just, we need to have a few more people that are courageous enough to stand up and say, this isn't the right thing. We're, we're not doing the right thing here. Um, you know, I look forward to seeing tomorrow night in primetime what 
comes out with the January 6th panel. I mean, the hypocrisy that we are hearing of some of our members of Congress who immediately came out against this, what was happening in private and wanted to hold people accountable. And they- so, But Sonia, that was just a tour group. That was just a standard- That was just people walking around. As, as, it was no different than people taking a tour. As Jack Del Rio said today, it was just a dust up. Oh, it was a God. dust up. Well, tell that to the families who lost uh, law enforcement as a result of it, or um, the you know the woman who was shot. Yeah. Well, I, that's well, that, that's that's a perfect example. Is like Ashley Babbitt, who was on the side of the January six protesters, uh, was shot and killed for what? Right. right. And so it's now used as a cudgel against the left or the right or what like but it's used as a cudgel and uh, no that's that's a human life that was lost whether that's right. left or right. right and the people who organized that and i don't i don't know who it was you know i don't have any inside on this and i think that's still being put together determined again through people who want to find out what the facts are um but those people should be held accountable. Yes. I mean, yeah. this was an attempted coup. Let's call it what it is. Right. If, uh, if they'd have got in and done what they wanted to do, that you know, thank goodness that it didn't happen, and that the Capitol Police, you know, put a stop to it. And 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 that's another thing we heard for months on months on months in 2020 that one faction was pro-police and 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 back the blue and then when that happened in the capital with the capitol police and those and a couple of those capitol police officers died you didn't hear that anymore from that faction now why is that to your point what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong right correct so, but again, it's the extreme ends of this uh, of the spectrum that get all the spotlight, right? So, I so I want to pivot a, a little bit. So, like, like we've obviously kind of broached this subject, but I want to pivot a little bit about uh, and ask you a little bit about what. First of all, what prompted you to decide that that uh, you had kind of fulfilled everything in journalism and you wanted to go into public service because public service is a is a thankless job is what a thankless job <laughs> it can be um you know so my sister died when she was 16 and i was nine years old at the time and um i learned at a very young age that life is short Life is fragile and you better make the most of it while you're on this earth. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, I get great joy out of, honestly, out of helping people, um, out of helping them solve problems. And I, I want to leave the earth a better place than, you know, what it is when I leave it or feel like I've done everything I can to help. 
I read a book one time and I can't remember if this was a quote or just a line in the book. And if it's a quote, I don't remember who said it, but they said the best thing you can do for future generations is to set good public policy. And I feel like right now it's the, we're back to the eighties and the me generation. And we're not thinking about what's the best thing for the common good. What's, mm. what can we do for the greater good of everyone? I mean, the, the vaccination issue is a perfect example of this. And I am, I'm, I'm pro-choice. I understand the, hey, it's my body. I should do with it what I choose. No one should tell me what to do with my body. But with the vaccination, I think, you know, why didn't people, why weren't people lining up like they did for polio vaccines? You know, everybody realized we have to do this for the common good to stop this virus from spreading. And we didn't have that same type of attitude with the vaccine. And I yeah. don't know if that's because we're so polarized or because the pandemic was so politicized. Um, I think the latter, yeah. I think is unfortunate. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, th I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do with just the fact that, uh, um, because of polarization, people latch on to belief systems that they don't actually have, right? So they latch on to identity. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the the right accuses the left of identity politics, but the right has absolutely used identity politics to their advantage entirely of... I identify as an evangelical. I identify as a conservative. I identify as whatever. So that means I believe this and this and this without any kind of actual cognitive thought towards what that really means to identify as that, um, which is why I, I, I personally don't identify as anything. But uh, you talk about vaccines. You, you talk about... Um, making personal choices, I think people just latch on to something that helps them uh, define themselves. And it's a double-edged sword. Well, and also if you mix into that a lot of fear-mongering um, and I'm going to call it hate might be a strong word, but um, directed at individuals certain individuals i think i think hate is a fine word i think yeah. i, think, I, I <laughs> yeah. think we shy away from the word hate but the reality is is there are certain individuals in this if you want to talk about personal freedoms and then you want to restrict what trans people want to do in this world you aren't about personal freedoms you're about freedoms for only the people that you like and so i think hate is a fine word to say maybe um <laughs> i appreciate that very uh i, I don't want to say political response but very <laughs> very very, very, very metered response yeah how about a centered down the road <laughs> center am, there's nothing I, wrong with that i am very concerned though about these messages that revolve around fear and hatred if we want to call it that because um You know, that's what Hitler did. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I've made that correlation quite a bit, uh, not just in the last six years. I, um, it's been going on longer than that. And what I've, what I found is, is that the amount of people that don't know history, which is another whole other topic that we could get into when we talk about the attack on the education system is when you start attacking the education system and tearing down the trust that you have. I was thinking about this today. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I grew up and I was a kid, longer than that. How old am I? Let's see. Yeah, Ancient. it was 40, Ancient. right? 40 You're years ancients. ago. Yeah. The, 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 the images of a... a 30 of years a, ago. You were okay, okay, move on. <laughs> I'd like to point out... I'd like to point out that there were several instances where I let you go and I did not make because <laughs> I'm the better man. Um, okay. The image of a, of a teacher, uh, of, a, of a police officer, of a fireman, of, of those things were so untouchable as far as impunity and, and grace and what you strived and looked up to be. And the amount of vitriol and attack that those professions get now is a direct attack on the democracy of the United States as far as building down and tearing down things that are trustworthy. The minute that you can start tearing down the, 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 the trustworthiness of a teacher that goes in every day and loves on those kids like they're their own and feeds them and makes sure that they're clothed and, and, and teaches them and spends, let's be honest, more time during the day with those kids than than parents do i mean mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to tear that down and to make them untrustworthy is a is a way to control the population you know i i hear this i hear this thing all day long about how well what happens you know what happened to the last country that took all of their citizens guns well what happened to the last country that stripped away every option for them to trust anything that that their government did what happened to that country? It's the same country. That's it's the same country. And, yeah. and I'll and I'll finish with this point because I, I I've thought about this a lot, a lot in the last year or so, and it's a line from a movie, and and it's it's the the line is people want leadership, and in the absence of genuine leadership, they'll listen to anyone who steps up to a microphone. They want leadership. They're so thirsty for it, they'll crawl through the desert to, to, towards a mirage. And when they discover there's no water, they'll drink the sand. That's a good quote. And that is exactly what is happening in this country right now. You brought up the, um, the vitriol towards our teachers and the demonization of our teachers. And that is, so when people ask me, why are you running? I say, there's a long story and a short story. And the long story is because I realized at a, long, at a very young age that uh, life is short and you better make the best of it. But the short story is it was, I think it was in December of last year, maybe January. And I logged on to Twitter one morning and I saw uh, one of our legislators attacking teachers saying that they should go to jail for distributing obscene materials, uh, which they weren't. And I was so angry, so angry. And one of the reasons I was ang this angry uh, was because my family really, really valued education. My mother 
had two scholarships to go to Valparaiso University. One was academic, one was music. She was valedictorian of her class. And she had packed her bags, was waiting for her dad to take her to the train station. And the day he was supposed to take her there, he said, you can't go. You have to stay home and help your mother. And my mother determined when she had kids that they would get the best education they possibly could. And she ended up becoming the first woman to serve as the president of the school board where I went to school, Williamsburg Community School District. She handed me my high school diploma. She handed all my brothers their high school diplomas. And so then, and I, I mean, she served on the Grantwood Area Education Agency. Back then we were number one in education. People yes. moved here to Iowa because of our education system. People stayed in Iowa because our education system was so good. And now we have underfunded it to the point where we're now in middle of the pack at best. And then to top it all off and have a lawmaker attacking our teachers who, Chris, as you said, go in there every day trying to do their best, trying to teach kids, trying to discipline kids, loving them, um, you know, in some, in many instances, parenting them. I say, how dare you? How dare somebody disrespect our educators like that? And are there some bad teachers? I'm sure there are some bad teachers. Are there bad police officers? Yes, there are bad journalists too. There are bad podcasters. <laughs> There's but bad brewers. I'm just saying. <laughs> But the majority, <laughs> the majority are sacrificing a whole lot in order to teach our children. Right. Our yeah. kids are the foundation for our future. I, I, I've said this several times. Our, our listeners know I'm, I'm married to a teacher. She is a, um, uh, she's a elementary school teacher. She does um, English as a second language. That's that's her primary role. She works at a school that is 100% uh, free and reduced lunch. Um, during the pandemic, when they when they uh, taught from home, I watched her not only teach her kids online over the school. She had to also continue to then become an IT technician to help troubleshoot these kids with a laptop, yeah. Yeah. A, a set of kids that probably had no idea how to use any kind of Wi-Fi or anything like that because they were so poor they didn't have anything like that, Yeah, that was teaching a second grader while their four-year-old little sister was sitting on their lap because the parents weren't there because they worked in a position that they didn't get to be home. Right. And, and maybe the, the, the seventh grader was the oldest kid in the house and worrying about what those kids were going to eat that day because the only decent meal that they got was at school. Right. So I watched my wife not only teach, but be a social worker and be an IT technician. And then to hear all the parents complain that they had their kids at home and how hard it was for them to do their job and they had to homeschool their kid. You'd have thought at that point they would have realized what an asset teachers were. But instead, right. Right. they became vilified. And then you wonder why there's a mass exodus of teachers leaving districts because they don't want to put up with it anymore. I mean, I mean, if 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 
if I'm a teacher and I'm told that mm, I need an AR-15, but Judy Bloom is tra traumatic to teachers, I'm there's something wrong, right? Like so, my, my they won't parents, fund schools for Kleenex and for pencils. Who are they gonna? My, are they gonna where are they gonna find money for that? My parents are both teachers. My sister is a teacher. I watched my mom like lose her life, her health over just trying to fund the schools. First of all, the last person I want with a gun in in her hand is my is my mom, and she's retired, long retired. But but like, I don't understand how we have lost sight of what the role of education really should be, which is opening up kids' eyes to everything, and that's what they should be focused on. I don't get it, and I get very frustrated that that teachers are are. Are constantly told that you're indoctrination centers, that you're you're. What does that mean? I don't. I I don't know. I don't know. Well, first of all, when you talk about some of the words that have been used as far as grooming, indoctrination, those are words that are associated with pedophiles. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that is to to try to make that type of association is so out of line, it's, it's awful. So we need to just stop this whole narrative. And um, like I said, we need to start funding our schools the way they used to be. It used to be that education funding was one of the first things that lawmakers decided and you got, you know, Republican or Democrat, they got what they needed right. for schools and now we don't. Over the last right. 10 years, um, public schools have received less on average than two and a half percent, which isn't even cost of living. So in, essentially, it's a cut. Yeah. I mean, the, the ITES and the ITBS were literally the, the national standard for schooling. Like we like Iowa and I live in Minnesota now, but like Iowa was the standard for how you educate kids. Right. right. Yeah. And we have vilified teachers and school administrators and and school board whatever. members. Yeah. Like to the point where. What are we really trying to do? Like my daughter is one of like seven kids in her entire school who still wears a mask and she wears it for her own. Like she feels comfortable wearing a mask. But like, why should she be taught that wearing a mask is just kowtowing to uh, the the fear mongers, but she also has to wear her mask while she's doing her active shooter drill. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> like, I, like there's, 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 I mean, I laugh because it's so ridiculous. Because there's a cognitive dissonance there, right? Yes. Like, mm -hmm. like, we've, like we've missed the plot on all of that. And so these teachers that are struggling, like why, why can't a state like Iowa or even a state like Minnesota, like understand, like, let's just take a breath, but let's just recognize that what we want to do is really make a better society. And the better society is to have better educated kids. Yep. Totally agree. I think it all starts with education. You know, knowledge is power. And if we can 
uh, better educate our children, I think ultimately you the result is you have a better society. That was that yeah. was a great schoolhouse rock reference there, right? By the it way. was. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the, the most know. important part, real quick, Tim, and then we'll we'll take that break. But the, the most important part, I think people need to remember is is that old saying that all politics are local. Yep. The, the focus has been on the national scene so long that the local politics, your school boards, your house districts, things like that, are the ones that affect you the most day in and day out. And those are the ones you really need to pay attention to. Absolutely. And those are some of the most thankless jobs. You know, a school board member, what they have to go through and the amount of time that they put in for zero compensation, mm -hmm. uh, they deserve our respect big time. For sure, for sure. Yep. But yeah, no one's going in to be a school board member for the fame and the for the money. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, no, yeah, exactly. I'm gonna okay. All right, well, so we're going to take a very quick break here, get a word from our sponsor, Revolton Distillery, uh, and we will come back and we'll have more with Sonia Height, Susan, who, again, I'm very grateful to have on the podcast. So we will talk to you guys very shortly, and uh, we'll check back. You don't know. You're going to listen to an ad. You're, you're fine in like 30 seconds. Okay. We are so thankful to have all of our podcasts sponsored here on Three Beards Media by Revelton Distilling Company. Not only do they have amazing products, but they have a beautiful tasting room as well. You can enjoy those spirits while listening to live music each Saturday. They have live music and food trucks on June 18th and the 25th of this month, but they also have a special Father's Day event on Sunday, June 19th. The best way to know what's going on is to go check them out on their Twitter or Instagram page at DC or follow their Facebook page. Head down to 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, and tell Rob and Christy we said hi. And we are back. Uh, again, we are talking with Sonia Height Susan. Uh, we are very excited. This is uh, such a great podcast. I think we're, we're learning at a time. Uh, Sonia, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about uh, what your journey from journalist to boy, you didn't want to say politician, journalist of public servants, uh, what that looked like and why you made the leap? Well, as you guys probably know, um, my contract with WHO was not renewed in 2020, which came as quite a shock to me, um, in particular because I had just gone to a convention, an investigative reporters and editors convention. And then I think it was... Um, less than a month later, and I was told your contract is not going to be fulfilled. And so um, I was, you know, I was thinking, what am I going to do? And um, I gotta tell you, it was, it was a really hard transition and thinking about finding jobs after I had been in journalism for almost 30 years. And, um, then Rob Sand called and he said, would you be interested? You know, I want you to think about this. There's a position open. And um, one thing led to another. And I'd always kind of thought of, that I might run for office or it had always couldn't do it as a journalist. Um, so 
I'm a firm believer in opportunities coming your way and you grab hold of them and um, you just wait and see where it takes you. And that has served me actually fairly well through most of my life. Um, I, like I've said, I believe, you know, you got one life to live, you better make the most of it. And I think you have to take a few risks in order to make the most of it. It's good to kind of be a little scared now and then. And that is what makes you stronger. That's what makes you resilient too, because when you fail, you learn a whole lot more than when you're successful. That's a, that's, that's a perfect way to look at it. I, I've kind of had similar things in my past after I got sick and, and had cancer and so on. It's one of those, you only have one life to live. I'm going to take chances, whether it's in my career or whatever. I don't know, however, that I would have ever signed up for a triathlon, let alone more than one. So what possesses somebody to do that? Because I, I got to be honest with you. I couldn't think of a worse thing to do. <laughs> do you hate yourself? Like, how do you do triathlon? <laughs> well, I started doing um, marathons. My first marathon was with Leukemia Lymphoma Society team and training. And it was because my anchor's daughter had leukemia. And he kind of approached me about doing a marathon on her behalf. And I got involved in it and I got hooked on doing marathons and I think I did four or five marathons. Um, and then I think it was 2003, I did my first triathlon at Big Creek. And I will never forget waiting to get into the water. And the woman next to me said, oh, how many triathlons have you done? And I said, this is my first one. And she said, you know, there are shorter ones than this. <laughs> And I looked at her like, what, you're not supposed to do and I'll right off the bat. And, um, but I got through that fine. And then, well, in 2014, um, everybody knows this story. Um, I think I was arrested for OWI and um, I was really down in the dumps. I was in a pretty dark place. And um, this friend of mine was like, I think you should do an Ironman with our YMCA group. And I said, no, no way. Um, with maybe an expletive thrown in there. <laughs> I, I just I said at the minute, somebody said triathlon. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I know how I feel. I know how my body feels after I do a marathon. What makes you think that I want to do a 2.4 mile swim and 112 mile bike ride, and then a marathon on top of it. That's just insane. And he, the other to put the icing on the cake was that he was saying, it, you know, you should do the Boulder uh, triath Ironman with us. And I said, and you want me to do it at altitude? <laughs> and I don't, it was one of those things. Like I said, you get these opportunities. I, it's like the universe opens up and says, here's this opportunity, take it or leave it. And I finally, I caved and I said, okay, fine, I will do it. And I started training with them. And then I, I, the, my first Ironman was in August in Boulder. And I think it was June. And I felt like I'm not going to be ready to do this at all. And so I contacted my longtime coach, Matt Zapita with Zoom Performance. And I said, um, do you think you could train me? 
And he's like, I don't normally take on Ironman athletes this close to the Ironman itself, but he did. And uh, I don't know how, somehow I finished it. I remember being in the water and almost having a panic attack because it was a mass start. So you and about 3,000 of your closest friends are battling each other to make <laughs> buoy. And I couldn't even get a full stroke in because we were so condensed and packed. And I was about 500 yards out. And I thought, how am I going to do this? And something inside my head just said, Sonia, just put your head down, put your head down and go. And so I did. And I just, you know, have this kind of mantra throughout the race, you know, just go. Um, and then I almost got sick on the bike. I thought I was going to throw up. And I knew if I threw up that I would get really dehydrated and um, probably wouldn't finish the run. But um, I worked my way through that as well. And then, yeah, for whatever reason, but I think it was after I finished the first one, I kind of thought maybe it was a fluke that I actually finished. <laughs> And so I went back to my coach and I said, I want to do another one and I want to try to break 13 hours. And so I did Wisconsin and I did break 13 hours and then uh, bring it full circle. Leukemia Lymphoma Society came back to me and said, would you, um, would you apply to do the Kona Ironman, which is the world championship? And they have a certain number of charitable slots that they give out. And, you know, you raise money for leukemia, lymphoma, and then you get a slot. And so I said, sure. And I did Kona as well, which was by far, that was the hardest one. But, you know, it kind of gets in your blood and you start to become so regimented with your training that when you're not doing that, you feel like a fish out of water. So do you think that that kind of stubborn training prepared you for like what you're doing right now. so you're fresh off of your uh primary win we have we haven't acknowledged it right now but like you are kind of in the middle of a marathon right now as you absolutely prepare, right so absolutely you- i have said i have often compared um training for an iron man and campaigning um it's not what you do on race day that gets you through an Ironman. It's not what you do on election day that puts you on top at the, you know, winning the election. It's what you do all of the weeks, days, months, and sometimes years leading up to that race. And um, one of the things I learned with Ironman training, there are plenty of days where you wake up and you think, if I have to get into that pool one more time. <laughs> I have to get on my bike trainer for three hours today. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose it. But you realize you put in the work every single day. And by the time you get to race day, you're ready. And you know, I was saying to Chris, I, I was so nervous yesterday with the primary, like I felt all day, like I wanted to throw up. And I realized at the end of the day, it was because I had no control over what the outcome would be at that point. And in endurance training, there's a phrase that is called the haze in the barn, meaning you've put in all the work, you've done everything that you can possibly do. Now you have to just execute. And 
<laughs> you know, I just all day, I, I felt like what I need to do something. And that was absolutely the wrong thinking. You know, the work was done and you know, now it's on to the finish line. So, and coming off of the primary, um, you feel like, wow, I have a whole nother race or whole nother endurance challenge in front of me up until November, but um, it's been really, it's been really eye-opening and enjoyable to talk to people and listen to them. Did, did you get a chance though, to like enjoy last night's primary? Did I enjoy last night's primary? Did you get a chance to like enjoy it after like the results? Oh yeah. I mean, I celebrated with a few people when the results came in and um, I, I did, but you know, the, the, the bigger prize is still ahead of me. Sure. So you keep an eye on that and, and just keep working hard. You know, like I said, earlier, you know, I bailed hay and castrated pigs and I've had a job since I was 14 years old. I detasseled corn. I was a waitress. I was a maid, you know, all of that stuff. And I truly believe that builds character. Mm. It definitely does. It definitely does. So So you pull out a triathlon, you never know. You could be... (laughs) Sonia, I, I I didn't get up twice this week for the gym. I'm not, I'm not, uh, <laughs> not you're not going to talk me into a triathlon. I, I made it, I, I maybe make it four days a week to the gym. That's, that's, that's good though. That's good. It is good. I'll take it. I'll take it. We, uh, we like, we always like to kind of ask this question to, to, to wrap things up. Uh, so 2022, Sonia's in a different place in her life. What, what piece of advice or what would you go back and tell 2012, Sonia? This is typically the, the reaction I get when I ask this question. <laughs> the, the, the big eye roll? Yeah. Right. Uh, um, 2012, I would probably say believe in yourself. I would say that to anybody, um, you know, I think that we all have doubt every single day. We, we doubt ourselves in one way or the other. And if we um, believed in ourselves a little bit more, uh, I think we'd all be happier. And I think the world would be a better place. I, I, I love that. Like, I, I think all the times when I get in my own head and I don't like, I have a lot of anxiety, like learning to just breathe and say, you got this. Right. I think that's a big thing. Yeah. It's like, you have this little, you know, devil on your shoulder saying you can't do that or you're not smart enough or you're not this or that or whatever. And if you just get to work, I had actually a really good, um, a current legislator gave me a really good piece of advice. And he said, when you have those moments where you have that self-doubt and you don't know what to do, just start getting to work and do something. And I think that that can apply to just about everyone. Just, you know, maybe what you want to do is start a new business, but you have doubt about starting that new business. Well, how about you just take one small step towards reaching that goal 
Maybe it's, you know, finding an attorney who can help you fill out the paperwork for an LLC, or maybe it's getting an investor or just one little thing that you do every day that takes you closer to reaching your goal. And before you know it, you're there. Chris, uh, as the leader of Three Beards Media, are you listening to this? I, I am listening to this. <laughs> uh, it was actually a part of the conversation that I had uh, I had last week when when we talked to, to Rob. I, there were yeah. a couple of times where I would say he would ask me what I want, and I would be reluctant because we were friends, and I didn't want him to think I was taking advantage of it. And he's like, Chris, just say the words. We'll figure it out. So can't be can't be afraid to take that leap right so he risks nothing wrong with that well sonia now is the time in the podcast where we usually give the guests an opportunity to plug whatever they want to plug say whatever they want to say uh all of that fun stuff so what do you have that you want to share with our listeners uh, well, I'll be lining up all kinds of fundraisers in the next several months, and uh, I'll be speaking at several different engagements. Just follow my Facebook page, my Twitter feed, my Instagram, uh, my website, sonyaforiowa.com. And if you have any questions, uh, send me an email. It's there's You can do that via my website. Um, you know, I just, I'm here to listen. I'm here to serve. And I hope I have that opportunity in the Iowa legislature next year. Well, we do too. Excellent. For, yeah. for what, for what old man strengths endorsement is. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> Although I will say I that everybody that we've endorsed has not lost an election. Now, we, I mean, that just because leaves we, Rob, who ran unopposed we exactly last time. exactly have Rob, <laughs> the unopposed Iowa State auditor, <laughs> given the old man's shape too. So, That's yeah. Right. I, <laughs> I will take your endorsement. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, uh, Sonia, hi, Susan. We are very excited again that you joined us on Old Man Strength. Um, I appreciate not only your earnesty but your 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 wisdom over uh what your career has brought and and what you're continuing to feel about like what you want to do for the state of iowa and as someone as a former uh iowan i i appreciate that you have a, a vision and a goal for i think i think just what could be better i hope so well Thank so much yeah. Well, yes. Thank you very much for joining us on Old Man Strength. Once again, Chris, Chris, do you have anything else you want to add? Go visit uh, Revelton Distilling Company, Osceola, Iowa. They've got uh, every Saturday this of this month, they've got food trucks and music from four to seven on Saturdays. I'm going to be there this Saturday, I think, to have some drinks and and enjoy some friends. And they have a Father's Day uh, in Revelton. They got big plans there at Father's Day as well. So big plans yes, down there. Please go visit our friends Rob and Christy Taylor at Revelton Distilling at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa. Those guys are doing some fantastic stuff. We're very excited to have them on board on Freebeards Media. Once again, you have been listening to Old Man Strength, a podcast of Freebeards Media. Exciting stuff to come. We're very grateful that you are here. We're very grateful to our, our guest, Sonia Height Susan. 
I'm happy you're here. I am Tim Johnson, joined again by Chris Shipley, and we will see you guys next time. I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours, terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this on my chest screen, bloody murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in to that original 